and welcome to another episode of For Book's Sake with Heather Roberts. And Veronica Adams of 1852 Media. Yes, and today uh, we thought it might be fun to talk about my mini pony. Now, um... (laughs) (laughs) That's what we were talking about before we hit the record button. It was. My mind is still there uh, for those that don't know. Yeah. Yeah, go into it. Tell them. So (laughs) it's very hilarious to Veronica and I can, I mean, it's funny to me too, because Veronica and I have been friends for, you know, 20 some years and she knew me, (laughs) she sent me through a variety. I've known multiple versions of Heather, but the one that exists today that you get here on for book's sake is the version that has surprised me most over the last two decades. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, she's been with me through many eras, and uh, yes. this yes. era is of me owning a ranch in Vermont and occasionally acquiring uh, animals. And so I currently have 13 goats, for those that don't know. Uh, and then we board on our property. We, we have a boarder, and she has 10 horses, uh, 10-ish horses. I don't know. And then she just had a mini pony delivered yesterday. And this little guy is so cute. He's so cute. He's adorable. He's like slightly bigger than a dog. I'm going to put my kid on a plane and just let you have him for like two weeks so that he can just experience ranch life and the wonderful petting zoo that his auntie and uncle are currently operating. Absolutely. (laughs) It's just so funny because, yeah, I mean, if you knew me when Veronica knew me... Yeah, yeah, this is pretty. In, yeah, the, it's I wouldn't wild. say it's a hundred and eighty degree flip, but it's definitely. I mean, we're at a hard angle here in terms of like Heather <laughs> today versus angle. Heather. Heather twenty, you know, two thousand and I don't know when did I meet you? Two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand three. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, this is our twentieth oh year anniversary. How about oh, that? In should, like a we month, celebrate. We should. Yeah, yeah. We met in That's August. Wonderful. Yeah, because we went to college together. Didn't we meet in August, September-ish, somewhere around there? I feel like it was the fall semester, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Some of those years are fuzzy. Yeah, true. (laughs) And not just because of how long ago they were. (laughs) Very true. Very true. So, yeah. Laundry room floor swimming and all of that. (laughs) Beach swimming, which is not what you think it is. (laughs) No, no. has nothing to do with what people, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Uh, we have a lot of history here. So yes, we do. Yes, we <laughs> if you do. ever, if you ever want my, uh, you know, past stories, uh, that Veronica's the girl to go to. Except yes. she locks it down like a vault, as she should. But <laughs> unless enticed otherwise, Listen. I mean, there's always a price, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I could, I could be convinced. It would take a lot, <laughs> but I could be convinced. I'd be fine as long as I got a, you know. Portion of the proceeds, you know, whatever. Yes, I always, always. Yeah. Okay, then we're good. Always, but yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting couple of decades. Yes, sure. it has. Uh, but no, for so. real. Today, uh, we uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about some questions that I found on TikTok uh, from yeah. authors asking questions uh, into the TikTok, you know, verse and brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Let's answer some author questions. Let's answer some author questions. Some I can play. Some are just, you know, words on a screen as one does on the TikTok. Uh, And that is how the first one is. The first one is an author who had put words on the screen. 
And she was asking, what is the standard slash acceptable length for a debut novel? She says that she keeps seeing 70 to 80K is typical, but hers is about 100,000. Ooh. So a lot of the comments, so yeah, a lot of the comments were talking about how if she's, it's assuming that she's submitting for traditional, you know, that she's querying. Because otherwise, if you're indie, your debut novel can be whatever you want it to be. Right. Right. But if you're querying and you're submitting that, then yes, uh, you know, certainly there is a, a length that you want to sort of stick to. Um, what would you think? What do you, what do you say, Veronica? I would shoot for about 80,000 words. I think that's a really good happy medium between too short for trad and too long for trad. It's kind of a sweet spot in my mind. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say a hundred thousand words I, I, to me. Okay. Not having published, but having supported people publishing. Right. If I hit a hundred thousand words, I'm going to start panicking. Yeah. About what do I cut? How much, where, where have I written too much? Do I need a developmental editor at this point? Right. Like, and it's okay for you to get your own editorial support prior to even submitting. Oh okay? yeah. Like if your if your goal is to have that contract to go traditional and to get your feet wet in the publishing industry as an author through a traditional publishing contract, you can still go ahead and get your own editors on board while you are writing before you even have. I don't know. Maybe you should have an agent first. We could discuss the pros and cons sure. of that, but even before you've locked down a deal to have your own people on board, helping you meet that mark. And I would say 80,000 words is probably the top end of that mark. That's what I would shoot for. Yeah. I mean, I would say the only, only thing would be if you're writing in a different genre, maybe like a sci-fi genre or oh, like a, a fantasy only fantasy, genre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's if, just so much world building that goes yeah. on in those two genres specifically that Correct. I don't think it's reasonable. For yeah. you to have a complete debut novel written in less than probably a hundred to one hundred and twenty thousand words, I would yeah. think. So, like, look at the genre that you're writing in. If you're just, I think she was talking about romance uh, specifically. Right. If you're talking about romance, non fantasy, uh, not like romanticy, nothing like that. Contemporary romance, women's fiction, women's fiction. Yeah. You're looking at seventy to eighty k because over yeah. that, wh- what? It just really industry standard is what, what do you need more than that for? You're not world building. You're not, you know, there's not a purpose for it. You And if you look at your manuscripts with a critical eye, you probably could find things to cut out that do not sure. move the story forward, sure. pacing things that aren't, you know, flowing well. You could you could probably find something. Now there might be scenes you love descriptions and yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Just because you love them, put them as bonus material. Take them out and put them as bonus material. You know, like you do yeah. not need to have it. If it doesn't move your story forward and it's just something you love, then that's another option. You could take that out. Okay. You've made a really great side point I want to emphasize for everyone who's listening. Sure. Like that material that you're cutting, if you have like, okay, let's say everyone's in this situation, right? I've written a hundred thousand words and I'm not publishing in fantasy or sci-fi or any of the other genres where a lengthier debut novel would be more than acceptable. Sure. All the stuff that you're cutting, save it. 
Don't just yeah. delete it. Oh God, don't delete cut it. it. Out of your doc- cut it out of your document, cut it out of your manuscript and set that to the side. And like you said, let that be bonus material or yeah. content that you use for marketing later on. Exactly. And you know, mm-hmm. you may, your, your trad deal, if you get one is likely for seven years, five to seven years, that's industry standard, generally, generally yes. seven. And you know, after seven years, you think that sounds like a long time, but it's shockingly not. And after that, it comes back into your hands. <laughs> and the question is, what do you do with it? Well, guess what? You can rework it, pull those old scenes, throw them back in there. If you still desperately love them that much. Right. Yeah. And re-release it with additional expanded content. So now suddenly you have another reason why maybe your fans would want to go and purchase that book again. Right. Um, So don't delete it. Oh God, don't delete it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's a benefit to have written more. I think even if you end up having to make some really difficult hard cuts, in order to polish up that manuscript the way you want it to pitch it and or query it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to play another TikTok. This is from cool. Clara Moon author. Let's see. We're playing it from my phone because, you know. Question for all authors out there. What is your ratio of people who sign up to be an art reader and you give them a free book to those that actually review it? Because mine's really bad. <laughs> she then says in the oh, comments, man. yeah, she says in the comments that her experience was that she had 50 sign up, which is a great number, right? Yeah. 40 of those downloaded. So I'm assuming on book funnel or book sprout or one or, of those other yeah. something, somethings mm-hmm. and only seven reviews. So seven out of 40 is what I look at. I don't look at seven out of 50 because only 40 actually downloaded it. So that's not great. Uh, the comments are all over the place. Some saying five to 10%, some saying 50%, some saying 90%. My, okay. So my take on this is the more strict you are with the requirements of your arc team, the higher your percentage is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I I could not agree with that statement more. It is about how you manage the group of people who have volunteered to review for you as an early reader or an arc reader. So if you have, let's say 50 people in your arc team, this sounds to me like it was more of a sign up. So if you Mm -hmm. have 50 people signing up uh, to review an arc, you send it out without any sort of rules other than, Hey, give me a review. Please, please write me an honest review. Right. Right. And there's no, there's nothing else then yeah you're you're probably going to get something there's no carrot or stick other mm-hmm. than the book right but if you have an arc team that you create and you say hey you have to review this in order to stay on the team or give me a valid reason why you cannot uh, dnfing is a valid reason yep Absolutely. I didn't like the book. Valid reason. Not every book is going to be for every reader. And there's, yeah. I didn't connect with it. Something happened in my life that prevented me from being able to read this book after I downloaded it. You know, life happens. You know, there's a million valid reasons as to why you could not go through. Communication is key. So communicating why you couldn't uh, fulfill that arc, uh, you know, review, fine. 
But outside of that, you then have to kick that person off your team. If they do not communicate and they do not mm-hmm. you know, provide a review, yeah. then why are they there? Yeah. And in, in this particular author's scenario, my immediate my immediate thought is, okay, I have a list of people who downloaded this book and a list of people who reviewed it. And the people who are on the list of downloads and not on the list of reviews are going to get an email from me saying, 100%. Hey, thank you so much for downloading my ARC. I don't have a record of your review. If I don't receive a record of your review within five business days or two weeks or whatever timeline you want to give. Right. Something reasonable. Yeah. I am going to remove you from all future opportunities to review my books. Period. Done. You'll be surprised how many reviews will show up after uh, an email like that. Exactly. And also, you just have to be willing to set some ground rules for the people who are reviewing for you and enforce them. Right. And it's not you being mean either, because if someone, you know, emails you back and says, oh, my God, I downloaded it. And then my mother went into the hospital. Right. Valid. I totally forgot to email you. Valid. Yeah. Then, you, you know, you reply. That's why you don't want the first email out to be like, awfully like aggressive you don't want it to be overly aggressive because Mm -hmm. you understand that things could have happened in life it's very possible some of these people did actually read your book and just forgot to post the review that happens all the time they think they did and then they go back and check and they're like oh oh i totally thought i did that already and i didn't so you know you don't want that first email out to be you know you're the worst person in the world because also why do you don't treat people like that don't treat people yeah. But, you know, yeah. Send out a there nice email. Boundaries, there has y'all. to be boundaries. You're not just giving out and free books for fun, right? Exactly. Exactly. And going through those comments, the authors who are saying they have a really high ratio of copies out to reviews received, I would be willing to bet all the money in my bank account right now that the vast majority, if not all of those comments are coming from authors who have rules that they enforce or boundaries that are placed on participation in their ARC team, street team, reader, review groups, or whatever. And that they follow through with whatever uncomfortable things have to happen when it comes to maybe removing people from the group or, or blacklisting people from future review opportunities. And listen, it's not saying, you know, you're a terrible human because you didn't review my book and you didn't reply to me. Right. No, but at the same time, you don't get another one. You got one. Good for you. You worked your... Yeah. I'm going to use some language here for the kiddos, okay? Go for it. You worked your ass off to write this book, okay? Yeah. And you're already giving away copies for free just to get some reviews. Like, you don't need the people who are going to take those free copies and run. Like, the least they can do is leave you a review. And well, the least they can do is communicate with, that, with you. Yeah. That's true. Well, you know what? I, I would even go so far as to say, for me personally, someone who has something come up that interferes with them reviewing by a certain deadline should still probably review the book for you eventually. So, like, yeah. if you have a reviewer communicate that life happened, it's totally cool to be 
flexible with them. And and I know that we are, we do that for our reviews. All the time. You know? All the time. Family first. The job gets in the way. People get sick. Accidents happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even had people accidentally download books that they're not interested in. Like yeah. we can look at their review history on our team and be like, oh yeah, this one is really off brand for you. Don't worry about it. Like <laughs> exactly. no expectation that you're going to review you know, whatever, something that doesn't fit with their some, reading history. Some kink thing that, you know, right. just, and you have only ever downloaded sweet romances from us. <laughs> like, yeah. But I always ask, are you, do you want to be removed from the expectation that we're going to get a review from you for this? Or is there a date in the future where we can expect you to have the time to review this book? Yeah. Because, you know, authors work so hard. They really do. And, you know, if it's a DNF, fine. It's a DNF. At sure. Tried. I am always willing to accept that a book just wasn't for a reviewer. Yeah. That's always a, that's always a perfect excuse in my book. And it's not even an excuse. It, I tried and it didn't fit. Because it happens a lot. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. it happened to me this week. It really does. <laughs> oh, God, it did, y'all. And it, well, we, we shouldn't talk about I that. I mean, but. I could talk. I can talk about it without giving away the Listen, fuck. I'm not, I'm not naming names or dropping titles, but you no, know. I'm not, but it's, it happens to all of it. This is not a client. This is not somebody that, you know, I even really interact That's with. A very well-known book and well-known author. Though. It is, it is both of those things. It is also not a recent release. So we're, we're talking. That's true. It is a book that sat on your TBR for a while. Yeah. We're like years. <laughs> so this is an older book. Uh-huh. And it just was not for me. I DNF'd it around 80%, 85%, somewhere around there. And like that is a which testament is, to just how bad it is. Because yeah. if you get that far, why wouldn't you just go ahead and cross the finish line? I'm usually pot committed. I'm usually pot committed <laughs> at that point. But what I did was because I I got to a scene where I was like, that didn't just happen. Like that was not the scene. And yeah. I got out of the book and I went to the reviews, as one does. And I had to see if anybody else felt this way because this book had, I won't say exactly how many reviews on, on the Zon, but over 10,000. Okay. Cause it's an older book, right. And very popular. And uh, the large majority of the reviews were very positive. (laughs) And I was like, how? And so I went to some of the, (laughs) the more critical reviews and yeah, it was, they, they felt, they felt what I felt. And they also okay. talked about the scene that made me DNF the book. I, I have read some things. This wasn't even all that like crazy, right? Like it wasn't a scene. It wasn't like. It's like some sort of, this is not some sort of taboo niche no, where you no. maybe didn't have the correct expectations for no. what you were getting into. Absolutely. This is not. a pretty straightforward contemporary romance, maybe, maybe dark romantic suspense elements. Like, maybe, yeah, maybe a little dark. Te- there was an attempt. There was an attempt at being slightly dark. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> but I knew consent, it. Some consent issues, maybe not non-con yeah. but maybe a little dub con i've read dub con i've read non-con i've enjoyed scenes from authors who've done those things mm-hmm. that this was not one of them so my point being you can read all the things i mean how many books have i read oh my god over the past you know years since thousands, thousands. thousands. I, I just can't even 
you can yeah. still read something that makes you say absolutely the fuck not. And this does not deserve another ounce of my attention Yeah, and put it down. And that's fine. That's the fine. only time I don't give myself permission to DNF something is when it's something I'm working on for a client. Yeah. If I've given a client my absolutely. commitment to proofread something or beta read something or proof listen to an audiobook or something like that. Those are the only times that I do not have permission to yeah. walk away. And if that's the case, and I feel like DNFing, that certainly is feedback that I'm going to be providing to the yeah, client. Yeah, oh, 100%. I'm going to very gently tell gently, the client yes. that like, as, as their publicist and marketing support person, here are all of my recommendations. But as just a reader, here are some things that I had trouble connecting with. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very possible that you will get people on your ARC team who or mm-hmm. who've responded to an ARC that just don't don't like the book. That's fine. Yep. You know, like I was saying, I absolutely loathe this book, but there are tens of thousands of people who fucking loved it. So, good for them. I'm I'm super glad they loved it. Um I did not. So, that's the whole thing. What what is my yuck is someone else's yum. Um, but at the same time you need to address things that might be problematic. So there's that, but yeah, as far as our teams go, the general rule of consensus or the general rule that you should follow, I think anyway, is to be understanding and kind because we're humans, right. But also set boundaries because you're not running a library. Yeah. So, and if you have no boundaries, you can expect to give away or to have 50 signups, give away 40 copies and only get seven reviews. That's, that is the level of that's expectation, participation and commitment that you could actually expect that roughly I mean, 10 to 15% of your participants will be honest and actually meet their obligation. Everybody else is going to yeah. take a free book and run until you catch them. Yeah. I had a client once who sent, um, it was an, a, an arc, um, to like, I don't know, 300 people who had signed up from the Woo! newsletter. Oh yeah. She just was like, her goal though, she did not have expectations that every single person was going to review it. So I think it's a matter is what you're, you're calibrating your expectations here, right? Right. Her goal was to get this book out there and create buzz amongst her own readers mm-hmm. to then transfer that buzz to social media, to friends, to right. et cetera, and book groups. So she's trying to mobilize her entire newsletter list as like a street team. Essentially. Yes. And it worked. It worked. Did she get 300 reviews? No, no. She got maybe 70, something like that. But you know what? It did work to get those people mobilized Mm -hmm. to get very excited about the book because lots of them read it still. Not all 300, you know, read it, but lots of a good portion did. Well, I would imagine that that's 70 measurable reviews around the release window, but also that some of those copies turned into late reviews as people went ahead and read after the review or after the release day buzz had passed, maybe, you know, several weeks out from release or launch. So as long as you you have to calibrate your expectations um, based upon what you are setting up as the guidelines here, she didn't want to do a lot of chasing so she knew she wasn't going to do a lot of chasing and she right. was just like, we're sending these out and what will be, will be. And I was like, okay, great. 
<laughs> so that's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. But if you are expecting every single person to actually put up a review, then you need to mm-hmm. one communicate that from the get go, and yeah. two, uh, you know, follow up with these people. That, that's just how it goes. So and and be willing to remove some of them from the inner circle from the list of people who are eligible to review for you. Yeah, like it it feels bad. It does that boundary, but. It's necessary for your business. All right. So let's let's go with the next one. Okay. I have a quick question. Just a quick question. How do some of you release your books so fast? What's your secret? Don't get me wrong. I know we all move at our own pace and whatever pace works best for us is the best pace. But I just want to know how you do it. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here on like... How many years has it been? Three? Since I first wrote the first draft of A World of Power and Ruin. And I'm still editing it. (laughs) Granted, I did do a lot of rewriting. And I still have a lot of rewriting within my edit to do. (laughs) I know I probably will never be able to move as quickly as some of you do. And you guys are seriously amazing for that. I see so many of my amazing author friends being like, book one release, book two, book three, book four. And I'm just saying they're like, hang on, guys. We'll be here soon. (laughs) Truthfully, I just think you guys are amazing. So, yeah. She's, She's certainly, I think, okay. So it would appear to me that this particular author, her name's Ashley Bachman. Um, she is writing a debut novel, right? Like she's not published before. And it sounds yeah. to me like she's trying to go trad. That that would be my guess. So yeah, how do authors write so fast? They're self-publishing, number one. <laughs> so they're not yes. they're not yes. constrained by the traditional publishing timeline, which is mm-hmm. lengthy, lengthy. But also I would say that this is, you know, I feel like this is somebody, no, no shade to her at all, obviously. Right. Right. This is somebody it's who's a great question. Yeah. Who's at the beginning of their career or, you know, mm-hmm. hopeful career. Right. And I feel like that's asking, it's the same sort of concept. If you were to go into any career, like even when we were practicing law, right. And when I was a baby lawyer, I would look at, you know, more experienced attorneys and be like, how did they write that brief so fast? And I'm over here like researching and studying, like it's taking me days and they can do it in like Mm -hmm. two hours. How do they do that? It's just experience, right? Um, When you have the experience and also when it's your full-time job and, or even not your full-time job, but it's like your second full-time job because right. a lot of authors side have, hustle yeah. or something and it's putting food on your table and paying your bills. Uh, you know, you, you eke those out as necessary, you know, as, as quickly as you can. Although some, some authors are full-time authors who don't do a book a month, right? Like they do maybe three Absolutely. books a year. And then there's more, there's traditionally published authors who, you know, release once every 10 years. Looking at you, Diana Gabaldon. <laughs> love her. Love her. I probably just butchered her last name, but um, absolutely 
Love her. I thought you were going to say George R.R. R. Martin. But, I mean, okay. he's the other offender, the large popular <laughs> offender, right? Uh, I'm still not over what HBO did to that series. but Oh, it's God, it's terrible. Neither here nor there. But yeah, I think I, it really, when you're talking about traditionally published authors and self-published authors, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a very big gap there when you're talking about how, how fast do people write. Yeah. But there's also a personal gap there, too, because some people just write faster than others. Yes. Yes. I'm also, okay. The first thing that popped into my head when I heard her talking on the video was, well, some people use ghostwriters. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Some people do. So like, there are authors out there who are experienced and, and have the skill to be prolific to the tune of one manuscript every 30 days. And they just literally are cranking out based on whatever genre or genres they publish in somewhere between, I would say 40 to 70,000 words in 30 days. And they have an editor set aside dedicated to doing the amount of editing or the type of editing that they need based on their experience and growth as a writer. And they have beta readers and proofreaders for feedback and, you know, all of the really common critical errors in, in formatting and things like that. And it's literally almost an assembly line like process for them. They have a system. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they can literally start to finish, you know, crank out a whole book in 30 days or 45 days or 60 days, whatever their system is. And then there are some authors out there who are, I mean, and I don't mean this in a critical way because it's a, a completely legitimate business practice. They hire people to outline for them, or they hire a ghostwriter to fast draft a very baseline manuscript that they then go back and fill in. Or some of them are paying ghostwriters to write the entire thing, and then they are just going over it and maybe doing the editing themselves or (coughs) adding their voice to it in places where it needs a little bit more um, authenticity to sound like their work. Right. Uh, That happens all the time. Yeah. All the time, in all genres. In all genres. And Mm -hmm. it's, as Veronica was saying, it is a completely legitimate practice. I know some authors are very anti that, you know. Yes. That it's a controversial topic. There are some people who approach that with like moral superiority or question it on an ethical basis. And and I get that. Yeah. Um, But it's a common practice and it's widely accepted. And there are a lot of trads out there who will publish ghostwritten books. Yeah, there are a they're, lot of trad authors who are not really who they say they are. They're, they're ghostwriters. They're called packaged authors, and uh-huh. there's a lot of, and that's when they're done. Trad is when they're called packaged authors because the person doesn't actually exist. It's literally just a creation of mm-hmm. the publisher, and there you would probably be surprised uh, as a reader by finding out yeah. that some of these people don't actually exist. Uh, right, so. There's that practice. Yeah. So some people are using ghostwriters. Some people mm-hmm. are just naturally gifted and able to, you know, crank out a book every 30 days, every six weeks, you know, whatever. It, some people are writing shorter <clears throat> books than yours. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know this author. I don't know what genre sure, she's writing Sure, I don't either. In. You know, you can write a novella and in some genres sell it as a novel yeah. just because it it's right there on the line between like short story 30 and, and 40. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And it also, I mean, some authors, maybe they started their career and they were only writing three to four books a year, mm-hmm. or maybe it took them three years to write their f- first book, like this particular author. And then they right. were like, oh, okay, I get how this process works. And they can then crank out another book in six months. And then it goes shorter from there and shorter from there. So, mm-hmm. you know, it can be possible to increase your your writing time. Right. Right. I writing your first book, I imagine I wouldn't be surprised that that took, you know, three, four years for some people, because there's also a lot of sort of self criticism that goes into that first draft of your first book. 100%. There's, you know, a big, it's a big leap to be from, you know, you're a writer, but you're not a published author. And it's a big Mm -hmm. leap from to, to publish that, to be able to put yourself out there in that way. Exactly. And if you've never been vulnerable <clears throat> with your creativity before, this is the first time you're really opening yourself up to criticism and feedback for how your imagination works. And, you know, whether you are intellectually creative or emotionally creative, like what, you know, what's your style and your spin and like that, that's intimidating. Very. It, it can really take you a lot of time to work up the courage to go ahead and publish and make yourself vulnerable in that way. Especially because you know when you publish it, it's not really yours anymore. And I, I say no. that it, it is not. Um, you have to separate your emotions from it because now people are going to take it and rip it apart. Some people are going to yeah. take it and absolutely love it. And you have to be okay with both scenarios. Yes. And yes. if you're not okay with both scenarios, that's that's going to be a very hard road for you. You to have climb. to be willing to have 10,000 reviews on one platform and still have people finding your book five years later and DNFing it at 80%. Like you have to be willing. You have to be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't hold it against that particular author. Uh, I really don't. I think that she was trying to write to a market at that particular time. I'm still talking about my own experience. I just, it was, she was trying to catch a wave and I'm reading it now after the wave has been caught and already fizzled out yeah. and it's just bad anyway yeah um, <laughs> let's go on to the next question yes let's <clears throat> i have a question i know that traditional publishers release on tuesdays but i want to know what has been your experience with releasing your book? Did you choose to go on a tuesday? did you release on a different day and what was the most successful so what day should you be? I love that question. I do too. I love that question. Uh, this question has a pre December, 2022 <laughs> answer and a post December, 2022. Answer. So it does. Sure if, does. You, if you ask me, it does. I agree. Uh, it totally hinges on whether or not you were trying to hit a bestseller list with yeah. your new release. Period. Tuesdays are are the the big trad days. It's just a market thing. And indies also will release on Tuesdays to hit a bestseller list. Yeah, that's why people are releasing on Tuesdays is to try to hit a bestseller list. But if you're an indie and you're not wide distribution and you don't have now post December 2022, uh, even with the recurrence of the USA Today bestseller list, yes, they are now... So pre just back up pre twenty 
pre-December 2022. Yeah, I should have explained that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Pre-December 2022, the USA Today bestseller list, you could hit as an indie just by selling. Very, very you know, easily. Yeah, maybe on the low end, I've seen 4,300 books in a week. Uh, be sold yeah. a ebook. Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen sales that start with four uh, four thousand plus sales. Yeah, be sufficient to hit the list. Um, depends on the week, right? Mm-hmm. Totally depends what else is releasing. However, yes. you know you were able to do that. Then they got rid of the USA Today about selling list, and then they recently brought it back. I think it was what at the beginning of June, something like that. Something like that. It's very very recent. Very recent, uh, June twenty twenty three. However, as we record this in the last week of July 2023. Yes. However, there is a caveat in that now it is apparently a trad list. I mean, it is. It's they are not counting the books the same. Um, you need to have wide distribution, which was always true, but now you need to have it's a combination of paperback and ebook. Uh, calculation of sales. You used to be able to hit the list with ebooks only. Yes. So now, which was a big win for indies, huge win for indies. Now that is not the case. You can still sell, say, I don't know, six thousand ebooks in a week, and you will not hit uh, because you did not have the paperback sales. Um, and this, the paperback sales need to be, you know, in indie bookstores and like Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Yeah. And they need to be. You have to have. You have. You have to either be working on your own distribution of physical copies, or you have to have some sort of distribution agreement into Correct. brick and mortar retail stores to hit this list now. So I believe that the only indie book that did hit the list as of recently uh, was Haunting Adeline by H. D. Carlton. Um, yeah. And that is because of the, the huge popularity of that book um, that she did mm-hmm. get it, uh, put it, you know, for distribution paperback wide. Mm-hmm. And that is why she's been able to to be represented there. Um, but that is not a normal occurrence. So, yeah, that's why Tuesdays. That's why Tuesdays happened um, outside of that. So if you're not if you know that there's going to be a ton of books releasing on a mm-hmm. Tuesday, that are traditional, right? I at this point in time, I wouldn't necessarily pick a Tuesday. I mean, you yeah. still can. Tuesdays are crowded. Tuesdays are crowded. If you're in KU, you better be picking Friday. I mean, yes. Friday for KU. That is you. Yep. Thursday or Friday. I Thursday. Fine. I like Thursday too. Yeah, yeah. Thursday's Thursday okay. Good. Thursday or Friday for KU. KU gets a huge spike over the weekend. People are at home. They're reading more. Uh, a lot of KU readers read over the weekend. Friday, great release day for a mm-hmm. KU novel. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I think that's a... And and honestly, this can be a question that I think has a very brand-specific answer, too. Because I'm thinking of an author that we work with, that I work with personally, mm-hmm. who is currently on a schedule this is a a pre-planned series. Okay. In a hybrid genre, these books are sort of their romantic urban fantasy meets paranormal women's fiction, kind of paracosy mystery sort of like, okay. Okay. And there is no day of the week that these books release. They release on the specific date every month. Oh, okay. okay. the, the, The author is in a production system She's got her assembly line process set up. She writes her manuscript within 28 days, like four weeks, goes to the editor, and then 
you know, formatting is done and uploading happens on the first day of the month for publication on the fifth day of the month or something like that. Okay. And the day of the week is irrelevant. You're going to get a new book in this series on the same calendar date every month. And that works for her. She's selling them like hotcakes. They fly off the shelves. Yeah. I don't care for weekend releases because everybody's already reading the new stuff that came out the week before. Yeah, I don't care for weekend releases either. I really don't like them. So... As a general rule, I would stay away from Saturday and Sunday, but otherwise you really can't go wrong Monday through Friday, as long as you know that if you pick a Tuesday, it's going to be crowded. Yeah, I would say that Wednesday does seem to be a little bit of a slumpy day um, for releases. It's a hangover from all the Tuesday new releases. Yeah, so Monday's fine, Thursday's fine, Friday's fine. Those would, you know, if you're doing a a wide release, Monday's great, Thursday's Mm -hmm. great. Get out in front of the trads who are releasing on Tuesday and drop yeah. your book on a, on a Monday. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I would say that that's general good rule of thumb there. So, mm-hmm. And also look and see, uh, see if you can figure out what's releasing around your date. Yeah. Because if there's some monstrous release that you know everybody's going to be talking about on the day that you want to release your book, Maybe don't release it that day because it's just going yeah. to be buried. All your promo that you're paying for that, you know, all the, all the promo you're trying to do, it's just not going to be able to rise above the noise of this other, mm-hmm. you know, monstrous release. Okay. I mean, should we keep going? Yeah. I have a couple more. Let's keep going. I have a couple more. This is a long one though. This we're. I know. <laughs> I'm looking at the record clock. We've been talking for quite some time. <laughs> I, absolutely. If, is anybody still listening? <laughs> we get a couple plays. So I are, feel y- like... are y'all still out there? Yeah, right. Okay. Hi, mom. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. I got to pull up this next thing. Do, 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 do. All right. Um, okay. So this one, it's not so much of a state of a question, but she was, it was a statement and she was saying, I'm not going to play it because she just is playing the sound. Um, and it's worth it that, you know, it's one of those horrified looks from everyone in the room that, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Eyes on me. And she's saying that she gets horrified looks when she tells aspiring authors who want to be traditionally published that you don't get to pick your cover. Yes. And I, yeah, she's right. She's right. You don't. You don't. There are so many things you lose control of when you accept a traditional contract. And there are so many benefits to publishing traditionally. There are things that a big publisher, not necessarily vanity presses, but that a big publisher can do for you. They don't always, no. unfortunately, no, they not don't. every author get, not every author and not every book gets that, you know, VIP treatment, but the benefits of a traditional contract being what they are, the burdens are things like you don't get to choose your cover. No. You also yeah. share your royalties. You also... Yes. <laughs> like, okay, so if you're a debut author and you are trying to get your mm-hmm. name out there and you get a deal with one of the big five, that could be very helpful for you for getting exposure, number one. Yes. If they put any sort of money behind you, which eh, may or may not happen, they may not market yeah. your book at all, by the way, that could still be on you totally, Yeah, um, which yeah. is, that's another thing that deserves a horrified yeah, look. That does. Yeah. Just heads up. Don't expect them to market your book for you because sometimes yeah, they do. And sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. The one benefit I would say that is generally true 
is that you get contacts in the traditional publishing realm that you wouldn't otherwise have as an indie author. Um, And those can be valuable for you later in your career even. So, you know, getting those sort of connections uh, with someone over at the big five, because they might move on to some other place. They might do something, you know, like, but having these people, having positive interactions with them is not Mm -hmm. a bad thing. Would I give up royalties for that? No. Um, (laughs) That's just me. I was talking to an agent the other day uh, who has been agenting for a long time. And she was talking about, you know, mid-list authors uh, or even, you know, very big name authors. She's like, I don't even know why that's that are some of her clients. She's like, I'm telling them, like, why do you want me to shop this book for you? Like, why do you want to share money with this? This public, this is her job. Right. She gets paid when she sells. You know, right, and right. She's, her, there is a there is a portion of the traditional contract that's set aside to pay her for the yes. work she does, and she's and she's still trying to convince <laughs> her clients not to sell their books to traditional publishing houses. Yes. Like, don't allow me to get paid. Right. Why do you want to cut me in and also lose your royalties? And you know, she was saying that one of her clients that the reason was they just. They, it was a goal of theirs. They wanted to be published by this particular publishing yes. house. And it was a, it's a career aspiration. It was a career. Wrong yes. with that. It was a career aspiration. It was not about the mm-hmm. money for her. It was just like sort right. of a, you know, a check mark that she wanted to check off. It, yeah. was, a, it was a goal. And that, yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise she was like, you could release the same book by yourself and be, you know, it would make way more money. Well, Depending on the depending on the publishing house, even in the absence of any genuine marketing, <clears throat> there are some things that you will get from having a traditionally published book long term. Yes. That if you can afford to take the hit of sharing your royalties, it's like investing in future growth of your brand, right? So you're giving up the immediate payday now and having smaller royalty checks, maybe or or maybe just an advance yeah. that your sales have to meet and then the the traditional publishing house is going to keep everything over and above the repayment of your advance. And there yeah, and there are but, but you have exposure to their reader lists yeah. and they're going to put you in their newsletters even if they don't, you know, do any sort of advertising for you or if it's an Amazon imprint, you're probably going to get seen a lot more than other books in your there's, genre. There's a higher chance even in the absence of paying for ads. There's a like, higher chance you'll be able to get a book bub when and they're paying for the book bub when they are doing yeah, it. Exactly. Those sorts of things. Also, I will say so there are smaller traditional presses, right? They not yes. that are not. Yes. And those sometimes can be a better fit and they usually do mm-hmm. throw more marketing dollars towards a book because mm-hmm. they are making Absolutely. you know, they're trying to make their own mark, right? And I look mm-hmm. at also if you're writing in a different genre than you usually write into, maybe that's yes. a reason to go traditional. Yes. Um, I branching think of, out as an author. I think of Rebecca Yaros, right? That, you know. Perfect example. The Fourth Wing. Not her usual kind of book that she releases. Yeah. She went contemporary, you know, she was writing contemporary romance and then she, like some military romance. And then she went into dragons, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that was a, a smaller press that certainly put mm-hmm. a very healthy marketing budget behind her. Knocked it out of the park. 
yeah, a hundred percent. They did an amazing job. And that is part of why it's, it's well, one, it's a great book, but also like it's blown up in the way it has because of the type mm-hmm. of exposure that that small press did for that book. Right. So you can have very positive experiences going traditional. Uh, you just yes. have to make sure that the terms are going to benefit you. Yeah, absolutely. One thing you can expect with a smaller press is probably for the terms to be a little bit more in their favor. Yeah. Longer contracts. Um, I've seen some small presses who own your manuscript forever. I mean, it's a perpetual ownership. You never get your rights back. So be wary of that. There's there are things <laughs> like that you have to be aware of when you're when you're looking into deals with with the smaller <clears throat> presses, but they can be very advantageous. They can. So yeah, you have to look at it. You have to look at what are you giving up versus what are you getting in return. Just like any and other does that deal. match your values and yeah. your goals for this book or for your brand. Or for your brand or career. Yeah. Okay. I think we have a couple more. Awesome. All right. There we go. So I'm working on my romance novel. Hey, I have a question for authors. How do you decide what tense to use? Like I started writing it. I think, I think it's called first person because I was using a lot of words like I'm wearing this or he says this, but a lot of the books I read are in third person where she looked at her phone, right? What's the benefit to either of them? (laughs) At this current moment, half of what I've written is in third person and half of it's in first person. Should I not even worry about it and like leave that later down the line? I do kind of want to have a couple chapters where it's in the other main character's point of view. That's okay. So maybe it should be in third person? Authors, let me know. She's struggling. The struggle is real. Oh, this is, okay. I don't, for some reason, readers love to argue about this. And to yeah. me, it this goes back to your yum is someone else's yuck and your yuck is someone else's yum. Like, this is such a, a personal preference meets writing strengths question, yeah. I think. Like, what comes naturally to you as an author when you sit down to tell the story of the characters who are talking in your head and driving you crazy and demanding that you give them a manuscript, are they talking to you and having you write their story in first person? Like you are them and, and speaking as them, or is it more comfortable for you? And are you more creative and do the words flow more easily when you are taking that 50,000 foot look at the story and telling it in third person and talking about people as he, she, they, them, rather than me, I, you, etc. I will say, so, well, I just want to interject here real quick and, yeah, please, and talk please. about, so there's two different things we're talking about here. We're talking about point of view, which would be first yes. person, second person, first third person, third. which is really first versus third because nobody's yes. writing in second tense. Just no, nobody's doing no. that. And then we're talking about past versus present tense. Yes. So, and you can also have, so you can have a third person past limited omniscience, Mm -hmm. right? Or you can have a third person past total omniscience. Like there's, you can get technical, right? I'm in seventh grade English and I'm like panicking right now. So what this means, I would say... 
a lot of people started, okay, traditionally published books were generally in third person past. Yes. Omniscient. Yes. And they would usually do one um, point of view. You can switch easily, I think, in people's, in third person, between people's heads. Because you are the narrator. You're like, you're omniscient. Mm -hmm. You can either be in one person's head the whole time, or you can be like a a god above and looking down, or you can switch back and forth between perspectives. It's a lot easier Mm -hmm. to switch. And what I mean by omniscient, like you can have that narrator person knowing everything, like the, yes, everything. The narrator does not have a limited view of the story. Yes, or you can have them have a limited view of the story, and that can provide opportunities for twists and turns and mm-hmm. suspense, and or it can be sometimes fun where the characters have a limited scope, but you know what's happening as the reader because the narrator, third person narrator has all the information which means you have all the information but the characters don't have all the information right and And the whole story is you being told the characters finding out things that you and the narrator are already aware of yes um Mm -hmm. so that can be very fun so it's sort of it's like what is the feel of the book you want to do i would say a lot of contemporary romances specifically have moved to more of a first person past tense that totally. has been very popular since Fifty Shades of Grey. And yes. I think will continue to be very popular um, in the future. And although dual POV, yes. dual points of view, the story being told from both the hero and heroine or both of the heroes or both of the heroine's perspectives, the alternating points of view between yeah. lead characters across the board, very popular even in the first person. Yes. And that would be I Went. You know, uh, he went to the store um, as opposed to, you know, right. the, the other sort of omniscient mm-hmm. area. So you just have to, I think you have to decide what is the feel that you want. Uh, what are you comfortable writing in? Yeah. Because if you're not, then if you're going, <laughs> it's going to be like pulling teeth to, and you're constantly finding yourself switching, you know, like that's not going, you know, your editor's going to not well, be thrilled yeah <laughs> what are the com- what are the what is the most common voice and point of view in your genre yeah okay so like what has become quite popular in romance is not at all what used to be the industry standard Correct. for romance when almost all books were traditionally published and the same is true in other genres and then there are some genres where the the old school way of doing things is still very much what's expected and how people get in line when they sit down to write. Yeah. So think about that too. The genre you're writing in is very important, but also, you know, what, what maximizes your creativity as an author? What is comfortable for you? Exactly. Right. And also I want to say there are some people out there when it comes to tense and stuff, that is just a weak suit for them in writing. That's what editors are for. Yeah. That's exactly what you pay an editor for is to keep you is, is continuity of point of view and also of either active or passive voice. And also <laughs> you're blanking. <laughs> my ears are smoking now. <clears throat> my brain. Just, I had, I just had a Mitch McConnell moment. Oh my God. 
I'm, I'm at the podium. I'm, you're, I'm you're I know just, exactly what I'm talking about. And the words just are the not there. there. But no, yeah. I mean, that is what an editor is for. An editor is to yes. go through and to yes. make sure that what you've written is what, you know, it, it comes out nicely mm-hmm. um, and it's readable right. and is consistent right. continuity. So yes. that's why it's important that your editor actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> And isn't just a proofreader. Yeah. Yeah. You need an experienced editor. Yeah. Like somebody with like a degree in something or, you know, that has done a very long work history in writing and editing writing specifically. Correct. All right. We have one more left. Let's see. I need to ask a quick question of the other authors out there who have published on KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. Um, Is there a way to set a release date so that on Amazon will not go live until the day that you are ready because I know once you submit the or publish the manuscript when you click that publish button doesn't it take a week to review or more before your book is actually live and how can you set it so that it doesn't go live until you're ready that it gets past the review process is there a way to do that if there isn't a way to do that, then how do you handle that situation when you have a specific release day that you want your book to go live? I hope that you can help because I'm not sure what to do. So I believe Great question. Great question. I believe she's talking specifically about paperbacks too. Okay. Okay. Well, because you can go on and set a pre order for an ebook. I mean, that's, yes, that is all day, every day, all day, every day, you have your manuscript uploaded by the deadline. Yes. It will go live on the date that you choose. And there's no issues with pre-orders there whatsoever, which makes me think that she is talking about paperbacks and Mm -hmm. I am so sorry, but no, the answer is no, you cannot set a pre-order as an indie author on Amazon. Sorry. Unless they give you some special privilege, which only very few authors, indie authors get. Traditional publishers do get that privilege. Yeah. That's one of the way that Amazon. And KU and still available wide. Yeah. You'll start to learn in this publishing industry that not all people are treated the same. Mm -hmm. Specifically, traditionally, traditional publishers uh, get some extra perks that indie authors do not get. And mo- I will say most indie authors, very rarely will you see one, uh, an indie author that has the ability to, to do a paperback pre-order. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, the answer is- Paperback goes live no. when the paperback goes live. Yeah. It's in, it, it's in the universe's hands. It's in I, the Zon's hands. I will say it doesn't usually take a week. It's usually like 48 hours. It can be like 12 hours. Yeah. It can be. I've seen things on Amazon take longer than they should at different oh, times. Yeah. And there's high usership like around prime days or something like that. But Usually. generally speaking. A couple days. Yeah. It's a pretty short window. So I would suggest my suggestion is to set your pre-order date for your release on your ebook. And then mm-hmm. a day or two before, even like three days before, submit your paperback to go live and press that button. It'll go live somewhere between a couple days, maybe before your release or after. 
So, you know, there's that. It, it could go live the same day you submit. It could go that live happens. the same day you submit. But the goal with that, and the reason I say to do it a couple days early, is because then your early reviewers can go and put their reviews on that paperback. Yes. Because yes. the paperback is live now. And think of it yes. as think of it as encouraging paperback sales. Because mm-hmm. those who love a paperback, you know, they get a benefit of getting to order the book a day or two early. So you're just giving them a, a little bonus. Uh, yep. It's not like they get to read the book. Pop on, on social media, put, post the link, paperbacks are live. Yeah. Get in your newsletter, send an early newsletter blast to your main list. New, you know, paperbacks are live. Exactly. And then when the ebook goes live, you'll already have a couple of reviews on your book. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So that's the answer to that one. But yeah, I no notes. No. That was perfect. <laughs> All right, Veronica, what's our evergreen marketing tip? Oh, okay. This actually dovetails on having those early reviews. Oh, how and about it's that? to use your testimonials oh. to market your brand and your business. Okay. So use your testimonials. Use those reviews in your marketing. Okay. You, like I think about uh, brick and mortar businesses, people who sell goods and services and how reviews really can be like the make or break bread and butter of their business. You know, like I'm always willing to do business with someone who's new to me when they have really great reviews from other people, you know? Yeah. I always get a little wary about doing business with someone when their reviews seem questionable and there's a lot of, you know, mediocre or negative feedback, but this I think is nothing but a benefit to authors when using your reviews, your testimonials, because I think a negative review can sometimes contain information that will only help you target the right readers. Absolutely. This reader did not like this book for X, Y, and Z reasons. Are you a reader who really appreciates X, Y, or Z? Maybe you should try my book. Yeah, absolutely. So, don't count out the power of your testimonials. That is a Use those reviews, whether they're five star or one star. Yes. Use them. Use them. Uh, yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. Uh, I think testimonials and using them are absolutely a key point or a key part of any yes. marketing plan. So absolutely. Love it. Well done, Veronica. <laughs> Thank you. All right. And we, we've kept you long It's a enough. wrap, folks. It's a wrap. This has been a long one. But I think a good one. We touched on a lot of good stuff. So until next time. Many horses to one star reviews. Yes. That's how we do. All right. (laughs) 